0: this week in Musonomics, It's our third episode, and we're talking about mixtapes, scarcity, and price. I'm Larry Miller, and I'll chat this week with Billboard's Gail Mitchell about the mixtape's economic role in hip-hop. And we'll hear a special report from Elise Howard about the simple economic principle that rappers use to monetize their mixtapes. But first, let's just bask in the glow of all that is Drake for a few seconds.
1: Envelopes coming in the mail, Let her open her. I'm hoping for a check again. Ain't no telling. Yeah. She me to the telly, keep the blade with me when I go to check bitch. Ain't no telling.
0: Drake actually has a lot to do with why we want to talk about mixtapes today. The song we're listening to is called No Tellin', and it appears on Drake's latest project. If you're reading this, it's too late. Notice I called it a project and not an album because what exactly it is is a point of contention. The project is technically a commercial album release by Drake's Atlanta label, Cash Money Records, and distributed by Universal. But in interviews and on Twitter, Drake calls it a mixtape. It's important to note that a lot of the confusion surrounding Drake's latest has to do with a nasty contract dispute between Drake and Cash Money. It's rumored that the project was made to fulfill a contractual obligation to release a fourth album and get Drake out of an unhappy relationship with his label. But all of that drama is beside the point. The fact that Drake can even pretend to call a release that broke Spotify's single-day streaming record and cost $12.99 on iTunes a mixtape makes us wonder, what even is a mixtape anymore? Depending on when you were born, where you grew up, and what you listened to, the word mixtape could mean a couple of different things. You might think of a mixtape as a number of songs stitched together from the radio onto a cassette tape to fit any number of moods or woo any number of sweethearts. But that's not what we're talking about here. This is the type of mixtape we're concerned with. The type that got its start at about the same time hip hop was coalescing under the streetlights in the Bronx. Technically, this song, South Bronx, was released by Boogie Down Productions in 1987, but it's all about hip hop in the early 70s.
1: Now, way back in the days when hip hop began, with Coca La Rock, Cool Hurt, and Bam. Boys ran to the, latest it
0: got shot up. the rapper there is KRS-One, and he's talking about the legendary block parties hosted by DJs like Cool Herc and Grandmaster Flash. These parties were the incubators of hip-hop, and the big draw was the music. DJs used two turntables to dissect old funk records into breakbeats that you couldn't help but dance to, and when MCs started rhyming over those beats, rap was born. This was the mid-70s, and everything was most certainly happening underground. The major record labels had no interest in making rap records, but the DJs could see the market for their music. It was breakdancing in front of them at all their parties. DJs began to record and sell tapes of their music, and those tapes are how artists like Africa Bombada and Grandmaster Flash built their names. Grandmaster Flash was possibly the most enterprising of the early tape-makers. He made customized tapes for clients, charging up to a dollar a minute for tapes that lasted between 60 and 120 minutes. For those custom tapes, he'd use the hottest music of the time and continuously shout out the purchaser's name over the beat. Flash also had a deal with livery cab drivers, wherein he sold them the best mixtapes, and in turn, They got the best clients, because those clients wanted to listen to the newest music while riding around all day. Eventually, the labels figured out that making rap records was a really, really good idea. The first commercially released rap record showed up in 1979's Rapper's Delight, and by the mid-'80s, hip-hop was infiltrating the mainstream. Today, hip-hop essentially is the mainstream, and the mixtape remains a vital part of the hip-hop ecosystem. But it's had to adapt to new means of music consumption, just like the rest of the music industry. The Internet did the same thing to mixtapes that it did to everything else. Raised the demand, dropped the perceived value. Pre-Internet, mixtapes were distributed by hand. And while you'll still see those guys on the corners hawking mixtapes, websites like DatPiff, WorldStar Hip-Hop, AudioMac, and even SoundCloud have made their names off of mixtape discovery and distribution. We're no longer in the days of Grandmaster Flash's dollar-per-minute mixtape. Mixtapes have become, by and large, free, or close to it. But that doesn't mean rappers aren't making money off of those free mixtapes. Elise Howard is founder of The Urban Coin, and a recent graduate of the NYU Steinhardt Music Business Master's Program. Here's Elise with a special report about how they're doing it.
2: In October of 2013, Los Angeles-based rapper Nipsey Hussle released physical copies of his mixtape Crenshaw for an eye-popping $100 each, which might sound a bit insane, given that mixtapes usually don't have a price tag and are released for free to generate buzz for an upcoming commercial album release. So why would Nipsey Hussle decide to charge such an exorbitant fee for his mixtape? Here's how he explained it to Sif and Rosenberg on New York's Hot 97 Morning Show.
1: I read a book, man, my, one of my homies, Big Bob, man, Big Bob Francis, he like one of my mentors. He put me on certain books and just give me game and sh- or stuff outside of like rap music and all that. And uh, he put me on a book called Contagious. And the second chapter was talking about this restaurant chain in Philly that starts selling $100 cheesesteaks. And it, it made all type of people mad, but it also got all type of press and publicity, you right. know what I'm saying? And why so would it be $100? Exactly. Go check it. Exactly, you know, and it ended up on Oprah, on David Letterman, on all these big outlets and stuff. So I was like, the whole book is about like what make things go viral, you know what I'm saying? And so when I read that, I put the book down. I'm like, we're going to do physicals and we're going to sell them for 100. And we're going to do a pop-up shop in L.A. And my team was like, well, you got to justify the price. I'm like, oh, are we going to make it a concert experience also. And that's what it was.
2: Crenshaw was, and still is, available via pay-what-you-want platform Proud to Pay. But Nipsey offered only 1,000 physical copies of the mixtape for fans who paid at least $100 each. These CDs came with a signed poster and a ticket to an exclusive concert. The physical product was bundled with a VIP package. Nipsey's sales strategy has a name, Artificial Scarcity, and It's a Clever Move. The hip hop world is experiencing the same problem as the rest of the recorded music industry. Commercial releases are not selling like they once did. The dominant means of digital distribution have changed music consumption behavior for the foreseeable future. Thanks to illegal downloading and an overabundance of relatively free music via YouTube, Pandora and other subscription streaming services, artists and labels no longer have control over the supply of their product during traditional releases. Once a new release hits YouTube, it becomes a commodity, a drop in a bottomless ocean of tunes that can be accessed for the low, low price of a 30 second ad. Listeners are so awash in music these days that they don't perceive its value. Scarcity is hard to come by in the music industry, so Nipsey made some of his own. Though he couldn't control the supply of his album in digital form, he could control the physical copies if he made them unique, which is why the value add-ons of signed posters and VIP content were necessary. So what was the result? Jay-Z bought 100 copies as a nod to Nipsey's enterprising business model. The other 900 copies, they sold the same day, earning the rapper a cool $100,000 for what would have been a free release. For his follow-up mixtape, Mailbox Money, Nipsey upped the ante, offering 100 CDs for $1,000 each. He has sold 60 to date and plans to employ a similar method for his forthcoming album, Victory Lap. Here's Nipsey on Power 1051's The Breakfast Club.
1: We're gonna do it traditionally through physical retail and iTunes, but then we're gonna do a, a proud to pay campaign like mm-hmm. we did with this one. And we're gonna offer it for free also. We're gonna offer the album for free. So if you wanna download it free, you could, because it's still gonna be free regardless if I offer it or not. Somebody's gonna leak it, it's gonna be right. available. <laughs> no, I'm gonna just keep it 100 with the, with the people. It's gonna be free if you don't wanna pay for it. If you wanna pay for it, we're gonna have a proud to pay product that go along with it. And if you want to go to iTunes or Best Buy or Target, you could do that too.
2: Nipsey's artificial scarcity trick is what allows him to give his music away for free in digital form. And he's not the only hip hop artist that's caught on to the artificial scarcity technique. You're listening to The Instrumental of Lyrical Swords by the Wu-Tang Clan. And for this classic rap ensemble, Cash Still Rules. They're taking the concept of artificial scarcity to the extreme with their latest release, Once Upon a Time in Shaolin. They'll be selling one, that's right, only one copy of the album. Nothing gets more scarce than that. Using this unique distribution method calls for a very high price that will allow the group to recoup their expenses and earn a profit. But instead of setting this price themselves, Wu-Tang is letting their fans do it in a public forum. The album will be sold to the highest bidder in a secret art-style auction that will take place on the online auction site Paddle 8. The winning bidder will receive the sole existing master of Once Upon a Time in Shaolin on two CDs. All backups and digital copy files have been destroyed. The master will come in a hand-carved nickel-silver casing accompanied by a 174-page volume containing lyrics, credits, and anecdotes on the production and recording of each song. Here's Wu-Tang's RZA in an interview with Rap Entertainment Television.
1: I've noticed mm-hmm. over the years that music has devalued itself. And I, um, at one point I supported the the internet because young people had a chance to find music they wouldn't normally find. Mm-hmm. But when it comes to an entitlement that music should be free and music is not appreciated for ho- all the art that goes into it, no, we have to remove that concept and mm-hmm. reinstate the artistic value. So this Once Upon a Time in Shaolin project is a piece of art.
2: He really means that piece of art thing. The impetus for handling Once Upon a Time in Shaolin more like a Picasso than a rap album stems from the RZA's mission to, quote, reinstate the artistic value of music. But the decision is shaping up to be a shrewd business move as well. On April 2nd, Billboard reported that the highest bid so far was $5 million, an astronomical sales number for an album that will move only one unit. Excluding streaming, to generate this much revenue from a traditional release, the album would have to go gold or sell 500,000 units, assuming a flat price of $10 for physical and digital copies. The group has not gone anywhere near gold in over a decade since their 2001 release, Iron Flag. Wu-Tang has even prepared for someone attempting to profit from the purchase. While the lucky and wealthy winner of the auction has the right to release the music for free, a special copyright prevents them from selling it digitally or physically for 88 years. Until then, Once Upon a Time in Shaolin will remain one of the most artificially scarce pieces of music ever commercially released.
0: So the line between mixtape and album has blurred. Even full-fledged albums like Once Upon a Time in Shaolin are taking promotional cues from mixtapes like Nipsey Hussle's Crenshaw. Moreover, production qualities have increased, and many mixtapes could easily be repackaged as albums. We sat down with Gail Mitchell, senior editor at Billboard, to try and see if we couldn't figure some of this out. So, Gail... What makes a mixtape, anyway?
3: You've got different definitions of mixtapes that have morphed over the years. I think if you talk to somebody like an Africa Bombata or a Kool Herc, for them, mixtapes were them putting together the best parts of their shows, or it was DJs putting together the hottest songs out of the clubs and, and putting those out and selling those, sometimes for a high round of money, like, what, 40, 50, 60, 70 bucks. I think the idea of a mixtape now is it's generally free. I think that's the first thing because we're in this age where, uh, with the internet, with people thinking music is for free and the whole downshift in the album sales, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, I know you have the Drake album that's out now that he calls a mixtape, but they're selling it commercially through his label. I think it was released through iTunes, dropped on iTunes as a surprise. Uh, but it's still selling commercially. And I think a lot of times in these mixtapes, you're dealing with guests on there that are friends of the rappers, but then again, those guests might be on another label and contractually, they can't release that commercially and and sell it, you know, there's all these hurdles or they may use, when you're doing a remix or freestyle on there, they might use a sample from something so you and I both know from the old days forward, that's money, publishing, you got to get all that stuff kind of cleared.
0: Then, are all mixtapes free by definition?
3: I think so. In a lot of cases, I think when you're dealing with the major labels, especially, and maybe even with the independents, uh, again, it's 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 either a promotional item to, to keep that person's name in the mix with their growing fan base or established fan base, or it's a chance to say maybe the said artist is trying to go into a different realm, directionally, creatively, and it's kind of a, you know, hey guys, what do you kind of think of this kind of thing? And it's spontaneous, it's freestyle. I think it lets rappers experiment and do things that perhaps if they're signed to a major label that contractually maybe they just want to see, you know, they can't release it yet, but they just want to test the market and kind of, you know, flex their wings a little bit. For a newer rap artist, hip hop artist, who might be big regionally they're trying to maybe break out of Atlanta and get up to the West East Coast west coast Midwest so it's a chance for folks like my 19 year old son to, to go wow did you hear this they, they trade in currency in terms of mixtapes have you heard this person have you heard this rapper have you heard that producer I think it's sometimes what you, the industry now you'll hear street single buzz single the buzz single for those who might not know might be a record the record label puts out a single. And they're trying to see what traction said single is going to get. Sometimes if the single goes great, then all of a sudden it's not a buzz single anymore. It's a lead single. If it doesn't do great, then yeah, it was a buzz single. We were just testing the waters. Here's the new official lead single from so-and-so's project. So
0: So Drake, Young Thug and others release projects that they've called mixtapes, but they kind of look and feel like albums. And I wonder how it is that these artists in particular would want to release these projects as mixtapes rather than
3: albums. I've heard people say that, and, and in some instances I don't want to call out any names, but I, I think sometimes you'll hear some great stuff on mixtapes, and then when the actual official studio album comes out, then uh, it doesn't necessarily seemingly match the creative quality. Sonically, it might not match because you're not in the studio with all the bells and whistles, but you got so much stuff at home. People have home studios, so I don't think that's so much such a big thing. I think people are looking at the creative authenticity of the said rapper, and a lot of times you hear that on the mixtapes, and then something seems to get lost sometimes in translation when it heads on over to the major label side, and you've got got all these voices being, yeah, maybe we should do this. So you've got Big Sean, who's done a lot of mixtapes and, and built quite a following. You've got Rich Homie Quan, who's, who's done several mixtapes. He still hasn't put an album out yet that's supposed to be coming, but he's got these mixtapes out there that kind of pave the way for him in terms of building his career and, and uh, stature within the emerging artists' side of, of hip hop.
0: But most mixtapes are free, and there is no short-term economic incentive then to release a mixtape other than to get the word out and
3: show works in progress. There's that element of it, but I think, as I said earlier, to me, it may be, I think even for the newcomers that are trying to get out there and build, they're trying to build street credibility. It, this is the new grassroots marketing that, that, that old school in, the old school industry used to do by way of radio. And, and build it that way. I think this is the new deal and social media is the new currency. It might not be green dollars and cents right away, but down the road if they can build up enough of a following through the mixtapes and then that catches the attraction of a label, I think it, that's the currency that hopefully down the road will translate into the dollars, and cents, and everything else that people equate with making money and, make, and something being economically feasible.
0: So in your view, there is a very real distinction, then, between mixtapes and albums.
3: As far as I know, we don't have any kind of quantifier in terms of uh, what, what makes a mixtape, how many tracks automatically make a mixtape. I don't think we don't really track mixtapes, but I think it's at the discretion of the artist and, or, and the label as to what they designate and call a mixtape. For me, it gives the hip-hop fan an idea of what this person is bringing to the table. But then it's the onus is on this person to be able, this rapper, be able to translate that when it comes to the pulling album.
0: As hip-hop has spilled out from the underground, the mixtape has remained a vital part of the hip-hop ecosystem, something that inundates the wanting masses with new music and connects the genre back to its roots in the underground. They may have come about simply to tap into the ignored market for rap, but they've developed into a type of stepping stone on the way to that big-money commercial release and a necessary promotional move to stay in touch with consumers' voracious appetite for new music. The persistence of the mixtape shows us that new styles of music can and will find their market. As for what makes a mixtape... A mixtape doesn't have any particular sound, or, for the most part, any particular cost. It's all about perception. Hip-hop artists of all levels release mixtapes because the idea of the mixtape is tied up with authenticity in the underground, two things valued highly in hip-hop. It turns out, what makes a mixtape is more of a feeling than anything quantifiable. So, is Drake's newest album really a mixtape? Well, if he says so. That's our show for this week. Thank you to our guest, Billboards Gail Mitchell. Remember, if you like what you heard, please, please, please give us maximum five stars on iTunes. Tell your friends and tell us online at musonomics.org or on Twitter at Musonomics. The Musonomics Podcast is a production of Musonomics, LLC, strategy consulting and analytics for and about the music industry. The Musonomics Podcast was produced at NYU Steinhardt by Sam Behrens, Travis Fodor, and Elise Howard. Special thanks to Ron Sadoff and Catherine Moore. I'm Larry Miller from the Music Business Program at NYU Steinhardt and the founder of Musonomics. We'll be back next time. Thanks for listening.